You really just have to keep checking in. And I think the, that was really the most important thing and the, the thing that kind of meant the most was being consistent and continuing to check in. And even if you didn't get a good result the last time you went in to see someone, uh, even if they were grumpy or really just weren't having it that day, just had to consistently to continue to check in with a smile on your face, ask how they're doing, ask if they have any concerns, what can I do for you? And just spending a few minutes talking about what they want to talk about. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health Healthcare through policy, action, and partnerships. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman. Today, I'm honored to speak with my colleague, Emily Brown, who is the Patient Education Content and Project Manager for Patient Advocate Foundation. She enjoys live music and traveling with her husband. Even if it's just local, she can embrace being a tourist in her own hometown. Thank you for joining me today to discuss how your career journey has been interwoven with caregiving. You started out pursuing medical social work. What inspired that? Something that has inspired me to go into social work, um, specifically medical social work, is several of my family members have gone through chronic illness or other serious diagnoses uh, in my past. So it wasn't until one of my parents had a serious medical event and I was able to see all that there was to witness the event, the surgery, recovery, and all of the emotions. At that point, I was in school to become a teacher. When that event happened, our family kind of shifted to really be there to support that family member. I saw the need for people having access to quality health care, which is what my family member was able to have. And not only that, but quick care. And I know that not everyone has access to that. That was something that really inspired me to want to go into social work. I felt like I could make a difference and I could help others get access to that care. So many people who are in this field always have a personal connection. And I know in the early part of your career, you interned at a facility supporting a program called PACE, the program for the all-inclusive care for the elderly. So tell us a little bit about the services and support that organization provides for the elderly. So PACE is a wonderful program. It is a national program uh, and there are centers all throughout the country It's typically funded by Medicaid, but other insurances, or you can pay privately, um, are other ways for it to be funded. And it's a really fantastic program, and that spurred my love for working with older adults. That program offers so many services to patients and older adults to be able to stay in the community. It allows older adults the support they need to stay in the community and stay in their homes successfully. It offers activities, bingo and games and dance parties and fishing, or they would have a, they had a men's group and they would, you know, drink non-alcoholic beer and play cards. And it was just really sweet. And there were chaplain services. So that need for spiritual connection was met. 
Um, as well as the medical side of things, there were two physicians on staff at my center. There were certified nursing assistants, there were nurses, so medications were given. Alongside with that, bringing back in that all-inclusive care, being that these participants were in their homes, we wanted to make sure that they weren't having any kind of isolation or, or mental health issues. That was a big focus of my job was really just making connections with the older adults and making sure that they had that social interaction. What did your role look like on a day-to-day basis? It was really a lot of hanging out with them, which was just the best. But I interned specifically with the social work director. Every morning we would have a morning meeting and we would talk about any of the participants that were having issues. We would kind of make a plan from a multidisciplinary perspective to help support them. Throughout the day, it was really a lot of those formal check-ins. So there are assessments because it is a Medicaid-funded program. That included a cognitive assessment. So we would give them like a, a short kind of like a quiz where we could test their cognitive abilities and kind of see if there was any decline since the last time we checked in with them. Um, We also did depression screenings so we could see where they fell, if they were feeling good or if they were struggling a little bit with mental health. The role that you and, and your team provided was caregiving, but more on a higher level, you know, on a systemic level for the participants of the program. And it seems like it was very holistic. You also served as the social services director at the Williamsburg Convalescent Center. So tell us a little bit about how did you support residents and caregivers there? You know, what were some differences and similarities between those experiences? This was a a bit of a different situation being that a lot of the people that I worked with in the nursing home or in the convalescent center lived there full time. We did have some patients in and out. Um, Some were just there for short-term rehab with our wonderful rehab team, Um, but most of them did live there. So that was something that was a shift in thinking for me is that, you know, this is really, this is their home. And we have to treat the residents with another kind of level of respect because you have to think about how they feel and how you're treating them in their home. The PACE Center was more of a day center, adult daycare type setting. So now going into a facility where this is the resident's home, and that was a big shift in thinking. They still need the same level of emotional support. And they can still feel isolated from friends and family, especially if the resident was new to the facility. It can be scary. It's overwhelming. You have people in and out of your room. It feels a little more clinical. So there were things that we did to help the older adults and help the residents there feel more at home. And a lot of that involved bringing things from home. So bringing Uh, You know, if they had an antique lamp that they loved in their home, we encouraged them to bring that and we would find a place and help them set it up or family photos, really just anything that made them feel more comfortable in their transition. And that was a big part of helping to support them kind of move into this new phase of life. Hmm. That's so sweet. 
And I know that you mentioned there's an important component of emotional support there, you know, that is needed during this transition. So can you talk a little bit more about that emotional support? Because I think sometimes when we think of caregiving, we think of it in one viewpoint and emotional support isn't always uh, necessarily counted in there. So talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I think you're right. I think a lot of times the word caregiver Uh, When people hear that, they think of the more practical aspects of caregiving, getting groceries for family members or, you know, taking them to medical appointments or um, assisting with those, you know, practical needs like dressing or bathing. But there's a lot about caregiving that I think sometimes people don't realize. And that is caring for the emotional needs and mental health needs of of the people that you're caring for. And in my professional life, that's really where that caregiving notion has come in. And it's just making sure that the people that I was working with felt cared for and loved. And I think sometimes that's hard for people to, to talk about, you know, especially with older adults, because a lot of older adults were raised in a time where you didn't talk about feelings. You really just have to keep checking in. And I think the, that was really the most important thing and the the thing that kind of meant the most was being consistent and continuing to check in. And even if you didn't get a good result the last time you went in to see someone, uh, even if they were grumpy or really just weren't having it that day, just had to consistently to continue to check in with a smile on your face, ask how they're doing, ask if they have any concerns, what can I do for you? And just spending a few minutes talking about what they want to talk about. I agree. That notion of being able to have grace and understanding, you know, for the other person. So I really admire the perspective that you bring because A lot of the caregivers that I've interviewed so far have been family caregivers, but you bring a very special perspective where it was from a professional setting. And I think sometimes that grace and understanding that you were mentioning is a little harder to have. Uh, When it is a stranger that you're trying to build that relationship with, it can be a little more difficult to to have that love and compassion. But like you said, it's it's kind of like a muscle that you have to build. Absolutely. And I think A lot of it, too, is putting yourself in their shoes and trying to think about it from their perspective. If I had just broken a hip and I was in a new place with new people and like you said, new sounds, new smells, new everything, I'm probably going to be pretty grumpy. I'm going to be confused. I'm going to be concerned and scared and wondering when I get to go home or if I do. and that's really what, that's really the time when you need to uh, remember that it could be you and really just try to be positive and be uh, as, as kind and, you know, as loving as you can be because it's all new and scary and overwhelming. And I don't like to be scared or overwhelmed. And (laughs) I, you know, I would want someone there for me in a situation like that. So um, I tried to be that for others. Yes. And like I mentioned, that's very admirable. And and you were able to 
take all of that knowledge and all of those experiences that you've had in those multiple roles and then apply it to the work that you do now with the Patient Advocate Foundation. And I know that you've been with us for the past eight years and have been able to transition and and do different roles, but you started in case management. So share with us a little bit about how you were able to take that prior knowledge and apply it to your work as a case manager. Yeah, so I was a case manager for five years, um, and in that time, I was able to help patients one-on-one with really just access to healthcare, whether that meant they were uninsured and didn't have any kind of way to seek care, or whether they had healthcare coverage, but didn't know how to use it appropriately or didn't know where they could see a doctor or a medical professional or whether they did know those things and cost was a barrier. So I was able to work one-on-one with patients as well as their caregivers to try and help solve those challenges and get patients access to quality healthcare. You also were able to connect with people's caregivers. So there were times when caregivers would actually call in to speak with the case manager to help their loved ones? Absolutely. That was a large uh, chunk of the people that I worked with was caregivers or loved ones calling on behalf of the patient. And more often than not, they're feeling frazzled and they're concerned and scared for their loved one, especially if they're in the middle of a medical crisis. So really I was going at it twofold. One is how can we solve the issue for the patient? How can we get them access to care? How can we get it paid for? But also how can we support this caregiver and make sure that they're taking care of themselves and having their needs met as well? And while I worked at PACE and at the Convalescent Center, I did facilitate caregiver support groups. And I was able to take a lot of what I learned working one-on-one with those caregivers into my case management work. I could foresee things (laughs) and barriers they might face and um, try to support them. Yeah. So you basically were doing two jobs at the same time, you know? (laughs) That's a very unique space to be able to be in. And the fact that you were able to take all of the prior knowledge, all of the prior conversation with all of the family caregivers that you knew and be able to apply it to help this new situation in this new family. That's really awesome. And so after you transitioned out of case management, now you've been serving with the education team for almost three years and you all do amazing, amazing work, you know, with creating webinars and um, documents, educating and really empowering people. So can you share a little bit about the work that you all do? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, you know, case management is very one-on-one and it's very one problem at a time focused. So the work that we do in case management is very reactive. So it's patients or caregivers coming to us with a problem, whether that's, like I mentioned, access to care, needing help paying medical bills, needing insurance, and us solving those problems on an individual basis. 
So moving into the education department, it's much more on a broader scale. We're helping a larger audience on a macro level try to mitigate problems. So we're going from reactive to proactive. And the publications and webcasts and all the educational materials that we create are really geared towards helping people solve problems before they pop up. We're trying to mitigate challenges and issues that people might face in the healthcare process so that they don't have to reach out for help. Things run more smoothly. They have the access to the quality healthcare that they need and they don't need other intervention. They're able to, like you said, advocate for themselves, empower themselves to really get the care uh, that they need. It's evident that your career has been one that has been full of being able to be a light and resource for so many people in so many different ways. And that takes a unique person, you know, to be able to to take on all of that and to be able to help support people in those roles. So personally for you, you know, with having a job that requires you to think about others so much. How do you take care of Emily? You know, how do you take care of yourself when you have a job that is so selfless? That's a great question. A lot of it is seeking support myself. When you're in a role that can be emotionally draining because you're kind of pouring that into other people, you really have to know yourself and you really have to check in with yourself and know when you're starting to burn out or feel at your wit's end or um, feel very stressed. So knowing and recognizing those signs in yourself is vital. In those circumstances, when I felt like, oh man, this is this is getting tough or I'm getting really burnt out. I tried to spend time in nature because it can be such a reinvigorating space, I guess, you know, spending time in parks or the beach or thankfully, you know, we're here near Virginia Beach, so we're able to access the sand and and water pretty quickly. So getting out when I'm really feeling frazzled was the thing that I did. Also, I really like long, hot baths. And (laughs) so I would just really like take a relaxing bath and get some candles going and some bubble bath and really just try to soak away the stress. I think back to what I said, I think it's just knowing yourself and knowing what you can do to kind of bolster, bolster yourself back up to be able to do it another day and give of yourself again. Hmm. Yeah. You said that so eloquently giving of yourself. (laughs) And it's not an easy job. So what do you love most about the work that that you do and the impact that you make? I just love being able to help other people and seeing, you know, somebody presenting with an issue or a problem and me having a solution for them. Me being able to meet them where they are and provide a tangible solution to their problem is so fulfilling. You know, whether that's, you know, talking from an emotional perspective, whether that's 
just checking in, giving you 15, 20 minutes of my time and seeing your mood improve when I leave. Or whether that means helping you negotiate a medical bill that you can now afford so you can continue to get the care that you deserve and that you need. Just the feeling that I get when I can help someone solve a problem that's really been a struggle for them is just, it's incredible. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.